This episode brought to you by Audible, and today you can receive a free audiobook and 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash richtakeonsports. Listen to your audiobook anywhere, anytime. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 64. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever platform that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. One of the beautiful things of sports is seeing individuals push their bodies beyond physical limitations. And our guest this episode, Manio Mitchell, is one of those athletes. From a small town in North Carolina, Manio would showcase unbelievable perseverance during the 2012 London Olympics, where he would help the 4x400-meter relay team win the silver medal when halfway through his leg of the relay, he actually suffered a broken fibula but he still finished the race. Before he would also become a world champion winning gold at the 2012 World Indoor Championships, he would set numerous school records at Western Carolina University as he was named Southern Conference MVP four times, becoming the most decorated athlete in school history. His life mantra, Faith, Focus, Finish, has become well known throughout all of his travels as he's continuing his professional career in track and field. And now, episode 64 with Manio Mitchell. Manio, I, I can't thank you enough for your time and just the faith focus finish. I've got to know what's the story behind that and how that became your life mantra. Faith focus finish came about, I was in college, I think it was my, I want to say it was my first year of grad school. So 2009. So I graduated from Western Carolina University and I went in 2009 and then I went straight into grad school because at the time I didn't know if I was going to continue training or go professional or not. I was still like on the, on the, on the fence with that one because I knew how hard it was and how difficult it would be where I was to go to that level. So I, um, I went straight into grad school. I started a, uh, a master's program in comprehensive physical, physical education just because I love how the body works and I wanted to hopefully do something with that when I was done or whatever the case may be. And so I was dealing with some stress issues and I started back training and I had this this very, very dark part of my life at that time um, where I really didn't even want to be here. Um, and uh, Like true depression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I suffered with that for a while. But running is kind of what it kind of just took me away from all the negative things that were going on inside my mind and, and physically and all that stuff. So there was a point where um, I was reading the scripture. I think it was Second Timothy. I can't remember the exact uh, verse now or exact. Uh, yeah, the exact verse. But it was uh, for I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. So I kind of took that and I flipped it and I said, OK, if I really want to make this happen, if I have faith, in, in, in God or whatever, even in my, my own abilities or, or whatever the case may be, if I have that faith, I'll be able to focus 
on the primary task at hand and exclude everything else, just focus solely on what I want to accomplish. And in doing so, having that faith and focusing, I'll finish anything I start. So it kind of just blew up from there. And then, of course, three years later, all of a sudden, it's like, boom, everybody's like using it. Well, it's a great mantra uh, because, I I mean, it is very applicable in everyday type of situations. Yeah, and that's what I found the most. Like, I go, I speak everywhere, um, all over the country and internationally now, too, so globally. And uh, the first thing they say is, Tell us about Faith Focus Finish because I can apply that to, you know, what I'm doing in class or what I'm doing on the football field. Or it just it's just like you said, it's applicable to like any situation. It's crazy. But and I so had no idea. Was that really helping you out in terms of in addition to the running aspect that you mentioned was kind of your safe haven getting out of that dark period? But was this Faith Focus Finish really impactful to help you? Yeah. Get out of that dark period. Yeah, if it if it wasn't for that, um, because leading up to 2012, I had so much going on. Uh, a lot of people don't even know the things I had going on, but I had so much negative stuff going on. Like it was like the enemy was just trying to defeat me in any way possible. So I was in grad school. I had to take a semester off so I could train. And then I was like, my grades were starting to slip a little bit, but then I boosted them back up. And then all this other stuff, just like dealing with with other outside issues that you wouldn't think a professional. Well, I wasn't a professional at that time. I so what type of issues? Uh, just um, like missing, like with this training and, and being away, because I was compete. I started competing and going around the country and stuff. You miss very important dates and events and all that stuff with like family and and friends and and all that stuff. And they may not like family and friends may not say you know we wish you were here or we hate that you missed. You know they may say some things like that, but internally they feel more than that. And even to this day, I, I, I'm starting to see that. So that's why, you know, I'm kind of on the on the fence about continuing this whole thing, because it does take a toll on not only your body doing this, but your mental capacity as well, because you do miss. I do miss my son walking or I do miss uh, my niece's birthdays or or Mother's Day. It's, it's just stuff like that. And then uh, just I don't know you're just going through life. No, no day is perfect. There's always something that is coming at you or people, especially now as a professional, there's always like rumors and all these different things you may not hear on the news. But I just try to live my life the best way that I can to secure myself and my family and know that, hey, if something ever comes up, I know I wasn't a part of that and just try to stay on the positive end of everything. So, yeah, you just always have that's that's with anything. You're always going to have times where no matter how good you're doing, there's always something or someone that doesn't want to see you succeed. And it's all about how you take that and run with it. So Faith Focus Finish always comes into play with that. So when did sports become an important part of your life? When were your first Oof. memories of sports? Crazy enough, my first memory of sport wasn't even sport. It was actually physical education. So I um, was in Bowling Springs Elementary School and the Head basketball coach at Crest High um, was my male physical education teacher, and the female was Miss Pam Fish. And we used to play a game called Jump the Brook. And it's where you had this, we were in a gym, our gym was carpeted, and you had this Velcro, like piece of Velcro that stretched probably as long as this table. And then you had another piece, so it was kind of like a long jump. But we were kids, we didn't know what that was. So you basically, you formed a line, <laughs> and you had to just, it, this if these two lines are here, this is the water, so you want to jump the brook. So you want to get from land to land without touching it. And 
I remember, I, I can't remember if I was in fourth or fifth grade, but I jumped up to like 14 feet. And that's when I knew, I was like, okay, I got some athleticism. So then I started You're playing. an athlete. Yeah, and we used to do a mile test too. I don't even think kids do that anymore. We used to do a mile test and you had to run around this little asphalt track that we had. I think it was six laps because it was a little under 400 meters. And each lap you dropped a popsicle stick in to show that you did your laps. And I would always win and I'd always not be tired. So I think my endurance just set in at that level. And then I started playing football and basketball. And then middle school, I kind of shot away from sports, which was weird. I didn't play any sports in middle school. None? None, no. I, I think I went out for the track team, didn't like it because it made me do hurdles, and then I stopped. I didn't do any, anything else. Yeah, well, I can understand that hurdles looks yeah. <laughs> brutal yeah, from I think my I perspective. I failed one time, and I was like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not built for this. And then high school, I, I went back to football, and that was pretty much my main thing, and I didn't even run track until really my senior year, but junior year football, they made us kind of like do it, so... But yeah, I would say so. Was football a sport that you oh, really yeah. loved? I had offers. Like football was my passion. That was my first love. Yeah. So I had I had offers pretty much anywhere I wanted to go. I was pretty speedy. Had good hands. Had good grades. So. So what position were you playing? Wide receiver, kick return, uh, punt return. So then, how did you make the transition over to track? My senior year, second game of the season, um, we were playing this nationally ranked team. Um, I can't remember the name, Davie County, I think. And um, it was out east in North Carolina. I returned a, a kick return to like the 40 or 50. And this lineman stepped on my arm when my, my hand was propped up on the ball. And I actually broke my wrist and had a plate and six screws installed. So I didn't come back until like the second or third playoff game. Still ended up winning states. We won back-to-back state championships. Still had offers. But back then, it wasn't like it is now where... If you're hurt, they'll still bring you in, rest you up, get you healed up, redshirt you, and then let you play. Back then, it was like, oh, okay, we're just going to the next person. So I started losing offers. I started losing interest. Uh, I won't put any of those coaches out on blast. (laughs) But uh, it it was a good feeling. I got to tour schools. I got to go to the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Floridas. I got to go on those tours and and those uh, visits for football and as well as track. So um, but it, it worked out. So, but track wasn't something that you really loved, though. No, track. I hated track for lack of other terms. Everything. So, how do you how do you become a professional in track when you hate track in high school? Well, I always track. Well, running period was like a punishment for every other sport. If you messed up in basketball, coach was like, "Get online, you're running sprints." Um, if you messed up on the football field, you had to run gassers, which we couldn't stand doing those, but it made us better. It was so running, I just, I didn't like running. I didn't have a passion for running. But when I got to college, my coach, like he, he was more like a father figure to me. So he kind of like took me in and, and said, you know, you can really be good at this if you do this, 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 this. And if you take this serious. And each year I got better and our team got better and we won five championships out of eight. So being in that atmosphere, I think is what, you know, impelled me to be the person that I am today and to have that passion for the sport and then being able I was always wanted to uh always dreamed like younger when I was younger that I wanted to like travel the world in some capacity I didn't know how I wanted to do that but I wanted to travel the world and track and field gave me that outlet to to be able to travel the world like I've been to pretty much every continent uh a lot of countries um 
probably more than I can name. I could probably name the ones I haven't been to before, you know, the ones I have. So, but being able to say that, you know, I've traveled the world and I'm from a, a small town in Mooresboro, North Carolina with only 340 people population. Yeah, it's a small town. Yeah, so <laughs> to be able to do that, well, I, I say Shelby, North Carolina, but I'm really, I was born in Shelby. I was raised in, in Mooresboro. So we have a lot of, of talent that comes out of our small town, our small little city, the city of pleasant living. And to be able to say that I'm one of the, the forefronts that, that paved the way for other people that are going to come behind me and set the example. So to be able to do that, and, and do it while running is just crazy. So. Yeah. And with that dream of traveling the world, was part of the dream also, though, to play professional sports like a football or something? Yeah, I definitely wanted to be in the NFL. Um, a lot of my friends and colleagues went on to play in the NFL, still playing today. So I'm like, I always look back and say, man, what could have been, you know. But then again, it's, it is what it is. You know, things happen the way they happen for a reason. I, I believe in destiny and fulfillment and all that stuff. So, um I just take it all in stride, no pun intended. <laughs> and uh, it, it just worked out for me. But, yeah, I definitely wanted to go professional. But I always said, you know, I wanted my education either along terms with that or before that. So um, I got the best of both worlds, honestly. So why so, did you go to Western Carolina then? I went to Western Carolina. Everybody always asks that. I went to Western Carolina first and foremost because of the music program. So I received a, a scholarship offer for the music program. So in high school, I was the National Choral uh, Student of the Year, which is very, very hard to get. So voice, piano, organ, drums. I didn't really mess with the string instruments. I didn't have time. It's a lot of time consuming. So, yeah, I played by ear, but I could read music as well. And then vocal, vocally, I was a bass so or bass slash baritone, but I had a range uh, Ken Brooks was my my choral instructor in high school, and uh, he was like, you can be really good. I've heard your voice before because his wife was the choral teacher in middle school. So he knew my voice, and he's like, you can be really, really good at this. Like, I'm talking about, like, top-notch, like, one of the best in the world. And I just strive to, to, to be that. And my senior year, I was awarded that, and I had offers to Florida State for music. Was, was music like, bigger than sports oh, for you? yeah. Oh, yeah. I grew up in a church. I had no choice. But the like my grandma was an evangelist. My grandfather was the head deacon. Uh, my brother. Now, why I, didn't you pursue the music career well, more I, than the I sports? Did, I did. When I first got to Western, that's what I was there for because they had one of the top notch programs. And there's a backstory to me going to Western, too, athletically. Um, but music wise, they had one of the best programs in the state. And I was like, I kind of want to stay. I'm a close knit dude, family dude. So I wanted to stay close to home. But it was far enough to be away from everybody. So I was like, two hours, I can do that. And so I came on my visit, and I fell in love with the program. I was the freshman president of the, the, <laughs> the music program, and everything was going well. But then you had track, and you had music. And at Western, and I guess any music program, trying to put those two together, it's like having two extracurricular activities in one. So it was basically I was doing three sports. You had indoor track, outdoor track, and music. And I, I basically and you almost, had to be a student. Yeah, and a student. So I basically almost flunked out my first semester. I made a, I can't remember what my GPA was, but it was low. And my coach was like, look, you need to figure this out. And I had a scholarship for track, so I had to stay on task with one or the other. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go into sport management because I like, I wanted to be an agent. I like the business side of the sport. So I was like, my, fr- my second semester freshman year, I started that, and I fell in love with that program. 
And I was like, you know what? I can always go back to music. I was born with music. I can go back to that. Track and field, I had to learn that. I, I wasn't like I was blessed with a with a gift, but I had to learn how to run fast. Yeah. Did you have to work harder in sports than with music? Did music just become um, it was more natural both, to you? I think they both came naturally, but I think track and field, as far as like running, is so it's so it's such a technical sport uh, as opposed to other sports. So, like I know you have to train and put in the hours in other sports, but track and field is so technical. Like it's down to like the millisecond. So doing something like holding my hand like this as opposed to this changes everything. So technically, I had to learn a lot more than I had already knew because um, I would just get out there and just run just enough to win um, in high school. So what's the backstory then of getting to Western Carolina on the sports side? My senior year of track and field, our regional track meet was held at Western Carolina University. And we went up there and we set state records and everything. And uh at the time, Western had just got that track. And that was my first time running on like a synthetic elite level track. And I was like, man, this felt good. I don't have to run on the pavement. Spark coming off my spikes. I was like, this is great. And um, <clears throat> I met him that day, Danny Williamson, my coach now. And um, the student athletes from the track team were actually working to meet, like volunteering. So I got to meet a lot of them and they were holding the flags for like, uh, the relays and all that stuff. And they're like, you guys are really, really fast, blah, blah, blah. So I met all of them and, uh, social media wasn't really big then. I think you had to have a email from, or an invite for Facebook from a collegiate, uh, or a person in college to first get on. And, uh, so I was getting all these requests. They were looking me up and stuff and they were like, man, we could use you on the team. And I met Danny and he was like, you'd be a great, uh, asset to our program. And he, he sold the program to me. And, he was like, I'm going to make you better. And he did. So that's kind of being, I think, had it not been for me going to regionals, I mean, I knew of Western from the music program, but I didn't know anything about a track program at all. And uh, at the time, I really wasn't pursuing the whole track thing. I was actually going to go to Clemson, which is, is kind of funny. Yes. Well, I'm a Clemson grad yeah, yeah. as so, well. So, so Clemson was. We missed the, out on you. Yeah. Clemson was at the top of my list. Um as far as like track and field and all that stuff. And is it because they didn't have a music program equivalent to I Western so. Carolina? I think so. Well, I, I hate For that the most we, part. Yeah, yeah, I hate that we missed out on you at yeah, Clemson. That was one of my probably one of my top three visits. Um, it was a long visit because that was the biggest school, one of the bigger schools I'd ever you know attended. But uh, yeah, I have a lot of love for Clemson. That's like my second home. We used to run there almost every weekend. It seems so. Uh, Clemson will always be like my second home. Yeah. And they've got a very good track oh, program. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and they've had it for years, even mm-hmm. when I was there in the uh, yep. the early 90s. What was that like then in terms of now you're making that decision at Western Carolina? What's your next step? As you mentioned, do you continue training, make that transition to go pro? Cause what is that like when you say going pro in track? Because it's obviously not like any other sport in terms of there's no draft. It's just you make a decision that you're going pro, but what does that mean? Man, this is tough to talk about because it doesn't even feel like my sport is professional because it's always thought as amateurism coming up through the Olympic development and all that stuff. So a lot of people ask me every day, so what do you do? What's your job? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> But I understand. Like, I, I respect it because people just don't know. So our sport is, like you said, is so much different than every other sport. You have the draft for NBA, NFL, even NHL, MLB, all that stuff. We don't have a draft. It's, if you're good enough, 
the scouts come after you. And the scouts are the um, shoe companies, basically. Um, if you're good enough to represent the brand, if you're fast enough or you can throw far enough or you can jump high enough, whatever the case may be for your, your individual event. Um, so that's kind of how it works. But we also don't have a union. We don't have... We don't have 401k. We don't have insurance. We don't have no pensions, no pensions, none of that stuff. So we're basically independent contractors. I'm a business owner. I own myself and you have to set yourself up as a business. So if you're listening and you run track and you're a professional, you might want to hear this. You set yourself up as a business and you run yourself as a business and you have other opportunities. You have sponsorships and endorsement deals and stuff that comes in, supplements your pay and all that stuff. And you can make a pretty good living at this if you do it right. Um, but you also have to be good. But you ha- yeah, you have to be good. And really the, the main thing is being consistent um, because for every one of you, there's 30 others. So when you made that transition, what were the biggest challenges for you when you first became this quote professional? Um, being that I started so late, it was still all fresh to me anyways, because by that, by the time I graduated college, I'd only been running for five years. Whereas most people, when they graduate college, they've been running since they were five years old or even younger. They start younger. So they have 10 plus years on me. This is my 13th year running track and only my fifth year running professionally. And that's with no, well, I say fifth. It's really my sixth, but I had a year off. So 2012 till now is basically the window. Um, but most people don't last more than two years at this. That's the, the average. And, and for that, you may not even make a team. You, if you don't make a team, you're not getting a medal. When you say make a team, so what does that look like? When I say make the team, I'm talking like the U.S. Olympic team, the U.S. world team. Um, those are the two major teams. You have an indoor season and an outdoor season. Sometimes there'll be an indoor world championship, so that's one team. There's an outdoor world championship, so that's two, and then Olympics is every four-year cycle. But those, that's what you want to do. You want to make those teams. And if you're not making those teams, then you're probably not in the top 20 in the world. If you're not top 20 in the world, you're probably not in the Diamond League, which is the top meets around the country that we can, or around the globe that we can compete in. So that, that's the goal is to just be top. You have to be in top. Top 20 is what I what my goal is, just being top 20. If you're in top 20, you're doing good. And is so. the ultimate goal, though, is getting to the Olympics every four years. That's, that's your the, main dream. The ultimate dream. goal is getting to Olympic trials. It's, it's harder to make it to the Olympic trials and actually make the U.S. team than it is to do anything. It's, it's so hard because there's only three spots. Three spots. Yeah, there's three spots. And luckily, I'm in an event where they go down to, like, six, seven, or eight just because of the relay. So they have to make a relay and you have to have a relay pool. But luckily I'm in an event where they can pull from that because if I don't get third or second or first, if I get fifth, which I did in 2012 at the trials, I still make the team. And a lot of people don't look at it like that, but I do because I wasn't supposed to make an Olympic team. I'm from Mooresboro, North Carolina. Like I'm supposed to be selling drugs or on the streets or something, you know, like that's, that's the narrative that people paint from where I'm from. It's totally changed since when I grew up, but that was the narrative then. So you got out of it. You were able to break that mold then. That's a testament to what you've been able to do. So what was that like then when you get the notification that, or you know, pretty much 
instantaneously? No, I, I didn't know for sure. Oh, you didn't? I so, knew, I I knew would... that um, when I finished the lap or the race, I looked up and I was like, you know what? I can't even be upset. I just ran the fastest I've ever run in my life two days in a row. I tied the fastest I'd ever run the second day and then ran faster the next day, less than 24 hours later. Never thought I could push my body to that limit. I was actually winning the race to a certain point against some of the best athletes in the country and the world, defending Olympic champions, two of them, NCAA champions, three of them. So I was already pleased with what happened. Now I saw my name came up fifth and I got this orange piece of, or this white piece of paper that said, congratulations, you have made the Olympic team relay pool. Please report to drug testing and then to uh, fill out all this information. I was like, what? <laughs> so I was already going to the games and winning a medal or not. I didn't care. That was my only goal was to make the team. And before that, I'd already made the world indoor team and we got gold. So I was I could have hung them up right then and there. I'm done. Like I I did everything I want to do. This is in my first year pro. So I saw success very, very early on. And so now it's like you it's not that I lose passion for it, but it's like, man, I've already did that. What can I do next? So Yeah, what's the next mountain to climb, right? Yeah. So now we're looking at we're looking at twenty twenty. And I've had times where I said, you know what, I'm done. I don't want to do it like it, because it's just it's so much. Is it because of the grind and just yeah. how much you have to put it's into so much. it? And like your body gets older, your training has to become a little bit different. You have to taper off things. And even though because like, I'm 30, but my body is not 30. My body is still probably senior year of college. Technically, if you take what the average professional athlete in track and field looks like, Technically, being that it's my 13th or 14th year, technically I'm like senior going into first year pro on my body. So I could look at that and I'm like, okay, I still have some progression here. Like I can still go till I'm 34 if I wanted to, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm done. After 2020, I'm done. And maybe even before that, I don't know. Well, the 2012 Olympics were still amazing. Talking about another situation where a broken bone. I mean, we obviously know you mentioned the broken bone in your arm in high school, but you're also in a situation where you're running a relay and you break your leg halfway through. And I'm still just amazed that you finished the race. And are you still amazed when you look back? How in the world did I do that? Or how did that happen? Um, I'm not amazed. Uh, that's just that's just how I was bred. Like, I don't, I, I always tell people that I hate losing more than I love winning. And if you have that mindset. So that's what motivates you. Oh yeah, for sure. And there, there were, there were some uh, components to that, to me finishing that lap. Number one, it wasn't just my race. Now, had it been an individual race, I probably would have stopped or I would have walked it in or got some assistance or something. But I was the first runner. We've never lost that race ever in history at that level. I wasn't going to be a part of negative history and I wasn't going to be the reason for the negative history. So and then number two or number three, there were three guys depending on me to get that stick back around to them. And so I knew that uh, no matter how fast or how slow I ran or finished, as long as I finished and got the stick to Josh and Josh got it to Tony and Tony got it to Brashan. I knew that they were going to do their job to get us back. And we ran an Olympic record that day with my probably two and a half seconds off of what I would or yeah, two seconds off of what I probably would have run. 
So with those two seconds, we would have broken the world record. That's mind-boggling when you think of it in those terms that you're running 200 meters with a broken fibula and you're basically only two seconds behind yeah. what you normally would run. Yeah, so a lot of people don't, they look at the video and they don't, they don't see anything. Now I can look at it and I can see it and I can point it out to people and then they're like, oh, I see it now. But it's, it's what happens right after that people don't know. They don't know the full story. They don't know that, yes, it broke at 200, but I kept running. Okay, everyone knows that. They can't see it, but they know that. But they don't see that I had to stand there or I stood there and waited for those guys to come back. Literally, I stood there on this broken leg, adrenaline wearing off. Then I had to go up the media tent, which is a whole bunch of stairs, and go through media and get questioned and all this stuff. And I never focused it on me. I said, you know what? I just had a bad leg. They didn't know that my ankle was broken. They didn't know my leg was broken. <laughs> no pun intended. I just said, you know, I just, I, I just don't feel like myself. I remember telling Lewis Johnson from NBC, I said, he's like, Manio, um, can you talk about your split and, and uh, how you felt and whatever? And I was like, I just didn't feel like myself. I remember that's all I said to him. And he knew that something was wrong with me. Then there was a reporter from here, from Asheville, that actually followed me. Um, and he asked me when I got down through the bottom of the steps and went through another media circulation or whatever before finally getting a golf cart to take me to the hospital uh, in the vi- Olympic Village. He asked me, he was like, is there something wrong with your leg or something like that? And I was like, no, I'm good. I think I just sprained my ankle or something. That's what I told him. So you weren't even telling anybody that? Yeah, I wasn't that. telling anybody. I knew what, I knew what happened. I mean, I felt it. I, I knew what happened. I wasn't 100% sure, but I was about 90% sure that, you know, my leg snapped. I felt it, but I just, I didn't want to take away from, from that moment because it wasn't just my moment. It was a shared moment. And, uh, number four, my, my mom and my aunt were in the stands and I didn't fly them all the way over there for me to <laughs> just get in the fetal <laughs> position. But my mom, some extra motivation. my mom knew, you know, once, once I got out of the blocks, she said she knew something wasn't right. And my aunt did too. They said they felt, they just felt like something wasn't right. Um, but it worked out. So it did. Now, was there ever thoughts of after that that you might have just stopped your track career at that oh, point? Oh, yeah. I contemplated that a lot. Um, luckily, I was surrounded by a group and a team of people that believed in me. Um, my sponsor, Nike, uh, my family, my coach, my support system, and a extremely, extremely important group of doctors and physicians and all these people um, at St. V and USATF, they all helped me out to to get back on track. So I was out for the rest of the season, and I ended up coming back the following season and ran just as fast. So And I guess you out. were very fortunate that the way it broke, that it would heal, yeah. that you could come back. Yeah, yeah. The, I, way, the way that it actually broke, I didn't have to have surgery, and I didn't have to be casted, which is, which is crazy within itself, but it worked out. But what about still being involved in other capacities? Like I saw that you're doing some broadcasting. Yeah. So is that something of interest for you? I love that. I love doing that. And, and I think for me, um, what I enjoy most about being able to travel and I've been to these different countries and I'll give Belgium, for example. I love Belgium because when I go there and where I stay, it feels like home. And the kids and the fans there, they just embrace you like no other. And London, too. Obviously, London has a different perspective for me. 
Um, but anywhere I go, I have this fan base and it's crazy because I'm not number one in the world. I'm not the Olympic champion. I'm not the, well, I was a world champion. I was a U.S. champion, but I'm not the best person or best athlete, but I'm one of the better persons. And I make, I make sure that, you know, I create an experience when I go to these places. That way, when I come back, they remember me because in my event, you only have 44 seconds on TV and then it's to the next one. It's not football where you have three hours or basketball, you have four hours and it's, I see your face and you're getting all this clout, like boom, 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 boom. Track and field, you have to stand out. So I had to do something that would make me stand out. And so I love the stories from the athletes and I'm kind of playing both roles. So I'm like, I'm still an active athlete, but I also talk about the same athletes that I compete against. <laughs> and um, it, I, I like, I enjoy it. Um, I love doing voiceover work. I'm actually starting to get into that. Uh, I have to look into investing in some some equipment so I can do it on the road and stuff like that. But I love using my voice. And like I said, I was blessed with the talent to be able to do that um, as far as singing and stuff like that. But I can manipulate my voice to sound like almost anything as if I hear it a few times. So being able to to do the radio voice and, and to make it my own and to, to be able to interview athletes and hear about the stories and the stuff that people really want to hear, but they don't get to see. Um Hearing the backstories of how you got involved in what you're doing or or why you do what you do and, and what's what's your favorite meal or what do you eat? Like kids want to hear that stuff because they see it and they want to duplicate it, you know. So that's I think that's why I got into it. And uh, it's still fresh, but it's easy. I'm not it's to, natural yeah, to you. Yeah, it's na- that's what I'm saying. It's natural to me. And uh, I just enjoy doing it. I enjoy like I was in uh, Iowa for the Drake Relays and uh I got to see some amazing high school athletes do some break some records and I saw some uh, track records and I was a part of that history and I got to call that stuff. Um, I got to call Bolt at the World Championships last summer because I didn't go. I was injured, but I was working with NBC Sports and the Olympic Channel calling these races and people didn't even know that that was me until they put my name on there. So being able to, to do that is it's it's, cra- it's crazy because most people are like you have to be retired to do that. You're not yeah. If you want to do a, be do analyst work, you need to be retired. So I'm trying to break the mold. I don't have to be retired. I can do both. <laughs> I think track affords you the ability yeah. to do that, and I think it's a very unique perspective. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of fans would love to hear oh, yeah. your vantage point yeah, because so, you are exactly. in the midst of being current. You're in it right now. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think another reason why I like it, I identify with the younger athletes very well. And, uh, a lot of them look up to me as like their mentor because they, they saw what happened in 2012 and they're professional now, but they were in high school at the time, which is crazy to think about. It makes me feel really old, but technically they were in high school at the time and they, they look back at that and they remember that and they're like, dude, man, and they, some of them run faster than me now. And I'm like, dude, He's like, you calling me the goat. You're a goat. You run faster than I do. That's all it's about. <laughs> and he's like, nah, man, you set the tone. Like, I looked up to you. I was like, so they're, they're like, you're my Michael Johnson or you're my, you know, whoever the case may be. So who was somebody that you looked up to? Um, it definitely wasn't anybody in track and field. It sounds sad to say, but I remember only looking at track and field when it was like the Olympics and seeing, uh, Michael Johnson and Marion Jones and all those people do that stuff. But I think, I think 2004 was when I was really, really introduced to track, like full blown, like, whoa, those cats are fast. But I would say when I first came out, 
I looked up to Justin Gatlin, um, and he's a really good friend of mine. We were actually roommates in London, uh, and we, we've, well, I can call him right now, he pick up and things like that. He's like my big brother. And I know he's been through tons of, of negative things, but I, I really looked up to him as an athlete, but not more, not so much as an athlete, or not only as an athlete, but as a person because of the way he carried himself. With all the negative things being tossed at him, the way he carried himself is is has uh, always been, you know, credible to me. Um, so that's one athlete on the track side. Uh, as far as just in general, um, I know when I went to Crest uh, High School, so I know Shamar Finney and uh, was a was a great uh, mentor of mine. Chris Coleman, they all they both went to the NFL, and then David Thompson. Um, David Thompson grew up in my area, and my great uncles played on a team with him. So in my grandparents' backyard, there used to be a light pole with a backboard on the back, and the rims just bent. And I was like, who played on that? And we actually used to play on it sometimes before we got our own. And he was like, you wouldn't believe, but your Uncle Thomas and your Uncle Kerry, they all played with David Thompson right back there on that court. It's like what? So, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So one being of the able greatest, to, yeah, yeah, basketball players, <laughs> and obviously a NC State legend. Yeah, yeah. So I looked up to him as well because, like, literally, when I would walk into school every day, I would see his picture up there retired, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna have my picture up there one day, and now it's there. So being able to, you know, to say that I'm up there with the legends, there's not a lot of people up there. What a great, yeah, yeah. way to fulfill a dream. Yeah. So what has sports meant to you in your life and the, how it's impacted your life? Mentally, it's taken me to a place of better understanding. Um, and I say that in a sense of I've been through a lot of different things and sports are what took me to, to make positives out of negatives, I guess you could say. Um, and it took me away from, from negative energy and just, you know, embraced an opportunity for me to go around the country and things like that and do something that I always wanted to do, but just didn't know at what capacity. Um, sports physically, obviously it's great to stay in shape. Uh, I'm a health advocate to like the T it's almost like being a hippie from Asheville. I'm, I'm like a, <laughs> a health freak. Um, and I'm not the, the healthiest person, but I do think I'm pretty fit. Uh, and I definitely love, you know, inspiring and, advocating for people to to live healthier lifestyles so sports definitely did that and continue to do that um and then spiritually i i was able to hone in on my spirituality not only you know as a christian but also as uh like the body as a temple like just being able to use sports to create this sports gave me a, a platform a platform to be able to say that it's more than running for me, like to be able to travel the world, not only running, but to deliver a message through my running. Um, and that's to never give up and, and to have faith, focus, finish and just believe in yourself. So um, sports done a lot for me, done a lot for me. And now you're doing a lot giving back. And oh, yeah. I think that's great. And you've given me a lot just spending the time. And it's been a privilege and honor to be able to steal some of your time. Oh, yeah. Not a problem. Greatly appreciate it. No problem. Thank you so much. Thank you. Many times athletes can become defined by their athletic ability. But for Manio, it's evident that he's defined by the word 
perseverance. It's also obvious that his talents go beyond the track, and even though his path might have not been the one that he envisioned growing up, he can now confidently know that he's running a strong race in life and finishing well with faith, focus, finish. Now that finishes episode 64, and remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening. 